Welcome to the Ad Astra podcast. Today we have with us researcher Samuel Gessner. Welcome. Samuel is um, working currently in Le, the Observatory of Paris, L'Observatoire de Paris, in the project Alpha, which studies the, um, the functioning and the spreading of Alphonsine tables and is a, a project founded by the European Research Council. Well, welcome. Samuel. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Since you are not, not only a, a very good researcher, but also our dear friend and colleague. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is really indeed a pleasure to have you here. So today we are talking about the relationship of astronomical instruments and uh, astrology. And uh, you have research, your, in the last years, your res main research has been on instruments of every kind. So do you want to, to tell us a little bit about your line of research and what you're doing now? Yes, so thank you for having me. It's indeed a great pleasure to talk to you and to pick up uh, so many conversations we've, we've had. Yes. Um, so yes, my main interests are mathematical and astronomical instruments from the Middle Ages and the early modern time. And uh, actually this was, not, um, uh, this was not my main topic uh, when I started out in history of science um, and history of mathematics. Uh, I became aware of the importance of culture for history only after my PhD thesis. Uh, when I discovered uh, that instruments constitute uh, actually a kind of uh, primary sources that one could exploit, uh, I was really fascinated because uh, beyond the textual sources, uh, we have actually objects uh, from the Middle Ages, very few. Uh, from the early modern times, from the 16th century, uh, there's a, a nice number of them. So objects that come down uh, from those times. Uh, and there is a, a special thrill to, to handle, handling objects that actually were touched by the the very uh, persons and astronomers uh, and teachers, the students we are interested in. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, it's like indeed. a direct link between us and them. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. But on the other hand, it's also very tricky to um, uh, use those objects as the, the basis for your research because obviously, um, each object has had its own um, trajectory and has perhaps been changed and has lost uh, perhaps its original state. And we usually don't know exactly who has uh, used the instrument and how and for what purpose. So there's also uh, uh, 
the presence of these objects um, is first of all uh, just asking a lot of questions. Uh, it means that uh, we realize how, how little we know about uh, the actual practice of uh, astronomers back then. Oh, there are many instruments we, we don't know why they were produced uh, and for what purpose uh, exactly. So mm -hmm. understand their function, their, their, the way they function, the theoretical reasons, their connection parts of astronomy we know, the, um, the way they, they are placed in the, in the astronomical culture of the time is um, an open question. It needs to be researched. When we talk about instruments, uh, several instruments, um, which instruments are we talking about? So the queen of the instruments, don't know, the king, um, uh, would be the astrolabe. Mm -hmm. The astrolabe, um, everybody's heard of the astrolabe, we're talking about the planispheric astrolabe. Probably the single most uh, successful uh, mathematical instruments of all time. Its lifespan uh, is enormous. I mean, it has been used uh, in several cultural eras uh, uh, over, well, more than a millennium. Uh, and so this is the most important one. Uh, next comes the, the sphere. Armillary spheres uh, are very common in the Latin Middle Ages because uh, they were used at universities. There are documents showing this for teaching or uh, in, in, in classes about astronomy, elementary astronomy. Moscow's treatise uh, contains a chapter that is not much more than the description of such a material instrument. Uh, but our military spheres were used in other context, there are Sanskrit texts on armillary spheres and of course uh, texts in Arabic. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is also an instrument that is very, uh, that has spread around. Now recently I've been, uh, I've started to work on less known instruments, less well-known instruments. Uh, and the first of these, for me at least, were planetary clocks. So perhaps you, you can be surprised uh, to hear that I'm saying planetary clocks are instruments because a clock, well a clock is if it, a clock is an instrument it would be a, an instrument to measure time but those a planetary clock is not there to measure time or not a, not human time it's a kind of cosmic time that uh, a planetary clock shows on various dials or on one dial, the positions of the planets, the moon and the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a clock because it's self-moving, because certain technological features remind us of, of an old uh, church clock 
the essential uh, part of is, is the mechanization of, of planetary models. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that sense, it's, um, uh, yeah, it comes close to a, a self-moving computing instrument. Yes, and it's mm-hmm. also um, an art object. They are normally beautiful, very, mm-hmm. very artistic. You know, for a moment, when you said planetary clocks, I thought you were talking about equatorium. But now no, I, I see the difference now. Okay. There is a close connection uh, that becomes evident when you look uh, at such a clock. I don't know whether I can share my screen uh, to, to show one of these. Okay. So this is a planetary clock from the 16th century built around 1560 mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a German country, Hessen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the, the dials, at least the one on the, on the right-hand side, um, these styles uh, closely resemble um, the traditional type of equatorium. So you have a... Mm-hmm. a there is a connection. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. You have a different disk that is slightly eccentric. And what you see very well is a, uh, the epicycle. Mm-hmm. So the, the final position of each planet is given as uh, a result of two movements, the movement of the different uh, and that carries the epicycle and the movement on the epicycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we will um, explain briefly what is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, oh, not only they are amazing scientifically speaking, but they are also very beautiful. They are art in themselves. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, and a precious object, I would suppose, because. Uh, uh, all of that that we're seeing, it's uh, gold and silver, I would imagine. So You're absolutely right. So there was a, um, a huge investment um, in, in such objects, not, in, not only in terms of intellectual and engineering effort, mm-hmm. in terms of labor, of course, and artistic um, imagination. Uh, and this tells us about uh, the audience for those objects, so who um, was interested or could, whose interests could be captured uh, by uh, these, the, these topics, um, planetary movements. Uh, and it shows us also the importance that uh, certain princes attached to, to this field of knowledge. Otherwise, we wouldn't have spent so, so much money on this. Yes. 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 The importance yeah. and the respect that they they would deserve yeah. from people who are dealing with it. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it's it's a wonderful object. I think it's uh, it's the beginnings of a portable computer that can calculate any astronomical position, and uh, but at the same time, so it's as you said, an engineering feat in itself to to make a, a mechanism that can do all these mm-hmm. calculations. With this, with a good degree of accuracy, and then 
it's not just a mechanical object, it's also a work of art in the sense of the decoration. And I, I had the opportunity already to, to see up close some of these, uh, of these dials. And it's a precious object and it's a work of art. So and certainly there was a, a very strong symbolic aspect also to it. Uh, mm -hmm. Here we can only uh, rely on historical interpretation, of course, but um, it's very exclusive. Uh, mm -hmm to possess such an object and um, imagine it's like a microcosm. It's an object that uh, moves according to the movements of, of the whole world. And ideally, if it's adjusted, it has to be readjusted every day at noon according with the sun. If you do that, you have a, an object that aligns with all the, uh, the, the with all the sidereal objects and the heavens. Like holding the universe in yes. your hands. It's the same uh, with the astrolabe. Also the same idea uh, with the, the armillary sphere. It's like you're holding the universe. In this case, one that moves by itself. Uh, <laughs> like a cell, yes, a moving universe. Yeah. It's amazing. Something that we use today, we easily have in an application in a, in a smartphone or in the computer. Uh, and here we're seeing the great grandfather of all of that. <laughs> yes, they are the great grandfathers of computers and smartphones. Yeah. And today we have applications and people don't even, normally they, they regard them as kind of entertainment, mm -hmm. something like entertainment, like very interesting and entertainment and not as um, this kind of very symbolically rich objects as the ones that you have just mm -hmm. shown. Yes. Maybe mm -hmm. we can talk a little bit about the armillary sphere because I, I have seen it <laughs> and I'm, I want <laughs> to go there. Could, could you explain um, how it works, what it represents, please? Mm -hmm. Yes. So maybe for this... Uh, yeah, we'll I'll, this I'll share that. Yeah. Anyway, the, as I said, the armillary sphere um, is a quite well-known instrument and uh, has been used extensively throughout the Middle Ages, even in the early modern times, and there's the production went on actually until the early uh, 19th century. Uh, today, the armillary spheres that you can find, like this one, which is a modern uh, replica, uh, they're harder to find. There are some cardboard models, etc. because the, uh, yeah, the demand has, has uh, strongly um, gone down. Uh, yeah. But until the, until 1800, there was still uh, a use and many libraries, many schools would uh, use. So why, uh, why was this so convenient as an instrument and so, so much demand? Uh, because uh, the curriculum included uh, notions of the basic notions of spherical astronomy. And uh, the armillary spheres represents or has a, a kind of materialization of um, concepts that are, uh, well, that are sometimes difficult to imagine, especially for persons who have not so strong geometrical imagination, mm -hmm. uh, materialization that, um, uh, that you can touch. Uh, 
And beyond that, uh, beyond the, the, the concepts, you can uh, demonstrate how these concepts, various concepts connect. So, of course, you are familiar uh, with the idea of what is the horizon uh, in a certain place, what is the median circle mm -hmm. for a given place, what is the celestial equator, uh, what is the circle of the ecliptic. And these were the, the basic notions that you would have to learn. Mm -hmm. The, the nice thing with, with an instrument uh, that you can touch is that you uh, you can fix this in your memory uh, mm -hmm. in a very efficient way. Yeah, we can play around with it, really. No? You can, exactly. <laughs> you can experiment, basically, yeah. Can you point out the main components of the... Yes. So can you? Can we can see it. Yes, yes I we have can it. See it quite well. Yeah. Actually, the actual sphere is okay. the part, mm -hmm. and here you have this broad ring around. That's the meridian circle. It's mm -hmm. a fixed meridian circle. Let me just say inside this uh, meridian circle. Somewhere. Let me just say something. Uh, for people who are not familiar with the sphere, the small sphere in the center is Earth. So this is, <laughs> yes. yeah, this is a geocentric model because this is how we see the universe. We are from Earth, yeah. from Earth, looking at the universe. That's just something that uh, for people who are not familiar, I think this is kind of important to, mm -hmm. to say. Please go on. Perhaps that's the first step. Yes, um, the sphere really represents the way people looked at the world um, back then. And the idea is that the whole world resembles a sphere. Uh, and we on Earth, we are somehow in the center of this whole sphere. Now, when you, when you take this sphere as a model of the world, that means that we are in the center. And the representation is like God's view of the whole world. Mm -hmm. okay outside on it uh, but the so why this idea that um, the whole world is a sphere well the it's perhaps quite an intuitive picture or uh, intuitive analogy because when you look at the night sky you see the stars moving on a large sphere, mm -hmm. movement uh, that is very slow, but it makes one revolution uh, per day, is still uh, quite um, uh, quite visible. Mm -hmm. So the movement with the sphere, th this daily movement, you can represent by a rotation mm -hmm. of uh, this cage, this, this sphere is here represented by this cage of, of various circles. And this movement represents simply the, the daily movement of all the stars and the planets and the sun there that are fixed on this. Uh, on this. And now I've inserted actually this uh, 
this sphere into a horizontal ring. And this ring represents the horizon, the local horizon of a certain place. And on the, on the, the celestial sphere that is moving, uh, you can see the main circles. So that was your question. You have here, I'm trying to point with my pencil. You see the equator. Mm -hmm. um, and parallel to this, you have two thinner rings that represent the tropic circles. Mm -hmm. Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer. Uh, and the ring, this little brother ring, it is slanted with respect to the equator. Mm -hmm. One represents the zodiac. And uh, so this is, of course, one of the fundamental uh, circles for the astronomers with respect to this, uh, the zodiac, with respect to the ecliptic circle in the middle of the zodiac, mm -hmm. the astronomers would fix the positions of the planets, measure the positions uh, of planets and the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how far can we do um, the calculation? So we, we, we can use the, the Arl-Mellary sphere to more or less predict the movement of certain planets if we know where to, to place them in the ecliptic. Um, would you be able to calculate uh, houses from, from that, from an armillary sphere? You can't, uh, you can't determine all the houses with an armillary sphere, but what you, what you can determine is the ascendant. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is of course one of the first um, and most important things that one would like to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. But probably before you would, before you would move to, to such an operation, uh, you would do some simpler stuff like um, showing how the, how the heavens change uh, according to the latitude where you are. Because this is something that people noticed, of course, according to the climate, as they said, uh, you see different stars, the sun is rising higher, Mm -hmm. obviously had an influence on that, the life uh, in these regions. So when you're in a southern region, uh, well, you have more heat and uh, the sun has a, a stronger effect. But in the northern region, um, uh, you get the colder, uh, colder weather in general and the, the, the day length is changing uh, much more strongly. Mm -hmm. These are things that, that can be geometrically uh, shown by, mm -hmm. uh, by the sphere the, in a kind of very, very simple uh, way. We, we can call it armchair traveling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to uh, make a journey to the pole yeah. and see what, what you would experience, how you would see the heavens when you're at the North Pole. So <clears throat> to do this, we just adjust the position of the armillary sphere within the horizon. Mm -hmm. So in this position, 
you're in the position at the North Pole and as the heavens turn around the Earth, uh, mm -hmm. you can perfectly well observe what happens. So when uh, during the year, as long as the sun is somewhere on the ecliptic above, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the upper part of the ecliptic, it never sets the sun. Sets. Exactly. That's the midnight sun. <laughs> it's exactly, you have uh, actually one day that starts at the equinox uh, of spring and uh, the one night that starts at the autumn equinox. Mm -hmm. uh, so the sun is once uh, six months above the horizon and six months below the horizon. And then you travel uh, to the equator very quickly and you have a different uh, a different experience here the days are always of 12 hours 12 mm -hmm. hours never changes wherever the sun is um, day length never changes the the sun always rises perpendicularly to the to the horizon mm -hmm. and of course then uh, you would move to a to a place that you're more familiar with. Once you've more confidence in the, the instrument that it actually can show you uh, interesting things, then uh, you would like to, to see what happens when you're, mm -hmm. for instance, in Paris. When Paris uh, is nearly 59 uh, degrees in latitude, so that would correspond where do you measure the latitude on top? Yes, there. Yes. Yes. Latitude is <laughs> the height of the pole, altitude. So mm -hmm. On this scale here, uh, here we have a, a scale for zenith for uh, the, the height of the pole. The height of the pole, yeah. Mm. So Lisbon is in 39. So the difference between Paris and Lisbon it is here. And now we are. 39, sorry, I moved a little too much. 39 is that, and 49. Yeah. Just 10 degrees difference. But yeah, you can but see that there is a significant a difference uh, in terms of the inclinations, yes. Quite, right. quite, yeah. So, yeah. What so of course, the, the, the also the astrologers were, uh, were aware of this difference and they knew that this inclination would have um, an impact on uh, the ascendant you get for a certain, for a certain time. Yes. Uh, what we would see in different latitudes would be the sun and the planets, of course, rising higher or lower, uh, whether we are further up in the north or closer to the equator. Mm -hmm. That is, that is uh, also what this explains is why some of the signs rise faster than others. Mm -hmm. Because some of them are uh, not as per perpendicular to Earth as others. Mm -hmm. So this is very, for people who, who are within the context, when they understand what this means, this would explain everything. Mm -hmm. This would help them to visualize the universe mm -hmm. as it is seen from from our 
perspective from yeah. Earth. And, and, and as you say, as you said before at the beginning, uh, this would be a very basic level of knowledge. Uh, uh, the Sphere of Sacrobosco, which is a book which is everywhere <laughs> until the early modern period, uh, it explains exactly these basic principles, this mechanism of how the, how but, the universe changes. But yeah. still, one thing that I find amazing in, in these instruments is that they require from us imagination. Mm -hmm. And I mean it etymologically, in the sense of being able to create images, mm -hmm. imagination. So we have to actually bring them inside and, and really understand them. And then we can like almost make them work inside our minds. We can see mm -hmm. them rolling. So imagination in this sense, not in the sense uh, that we normally give it today, but in the etymological sense, it's something that is required. We need to understand this 3D universe, this 3D geocentric model, and then be able to, to work with it in mm -hmm. different latitudes at different times of the day different conditions. So it's really amazing. Although it's simple, as Louise just mm -hmm. said, it is a simple thing, but at the same time, it requires a, a specific type of approach, a specific type of understanding mm -hmm. in order mm -hmm. to, to understand. It's interesting because with computers, we don't have this. The computer does, almost it, does everything. Yeah. Does everything for us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's very good. Well, it's interesting what you say. Um, also, um, because uh, it's difficult to historically reconstruct what people imagined at a different time when the, the visual codes, uh, the place of geometry in, in the curriculum uh, was very different from ours. Uh, we shouldn't forget that, um, well, one can say all along the, the Middle Ages at the university, um, the mathematical were not that much um, central. Uh, the main emphasis went on uh, on dialectics and rhetoric um, uh, that seemed more apt to prepare um, the persons to. Uh, to the really important things like theology, philosophy, and um, and uh, and physics. Um, so the the astronomers, uh, as I become more and more aware back then, um, they would have a quite practical approach uh, to to astronomy at the beginning. So. It, if you wanted to um, to compute uh, the positions of the planets, uh, you would probably first turn just to tables, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can you can compute uh, the positions and cast a horoscope uh, without um, actually representing this. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. An instrument absolutely. or uh, even in your mind, uh, geometrically, you can, uh, you can get very good results and precise results just using uh, the, the computation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so what is amazing is that 
uh, as time goes, so 14th, 15th, and 16th century, um, we find uh, once and again uh, attempts and ideas to visualize uh, these these computations and uh, these um, these concepts. Does it seem? that these efforts, the creation of these instruments came out of necessity because one would, actually the best way and the most exact uh, positions you would still get by using the tables. Using an instrument yields uh, positions that are less accurate. Mm -hmm. With less digits, if you want, you can determine things to a, to a degree or half or a third of a degree if your instrument is well made. So the turning to the interest to, for, for objects that materialize and they represent um, these concepts in a, in a visual and geometric way is actually telling us something about um, specific expectations uh, the scholars had in trying to to make sense geometrically um, of uh, of what they were doing when with the tables. Yes, yes, yes I, I this is an insight that that I I've more and more acquired uh, over the last year or so when working in the Alpha project. Mm -hmm. Really, the kind of reference, the main corrective, if you want, of the the historical astronomers seems to have been the tables. They really trusted them. Mm -hmm. And based on this, um, they made an effort to reconcile some problems that emerged with the tables. They tried to figure out various ways uh, in, in getting to grips with this. And, really understand what lies behind. One could say, you know, in, in, in a stark contrast with the astronomy, we used astronomy, we used geometry and geometrical ideas to produce tables. The Alphonsine astronomers, they did the reverse. They received the tables from the tradition and tried to derive geometry from the models behind them. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. I was not uh, talking about um, uh, mathematical calculations, it's just the ability to visualize. Probably the tables and the instruments, they respond to different um, requirements, yeah. different needs. And mm -hmm. um, the, the question I would like to ask you is, how do they interact? And I ask you this because I have seen in manuscripts um, that uh, sometimes they, they see the tables and then they go to the instruments or vice versa. So they, they can kind of, they may use them both. So what do you think, how do you think they uh, would um, uh, reconcile, if, if reconciliation is needed, with these two ways of looking at the universe or measuring the universe? Absolutely. There's a, I, I, what you say is absolutely true. I, I've seen this also, that um, there seems a, in general, a great openness towards different alternative approaches to the same task. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not always is there a kind of attempt to um, to make a, a triage or to kind of say that's the best way and these are less well. Often we just get expositions of various methods mm-hmm. to do things and there's an interest in, in, in collecting uh, the various methods in, in, in keeping the memory of uh, alternative approaches to the same thing. And that's uh, true also in, uh, in the way uh, instruments and tables coexist. Um, so to take the example of um, domification. Mm-hmm. So you can use the tables to, uh, to find the cusps. Or even the the oblique ascension. You, of course, there's a table for oblique ascension. Uh, there's various tables for each climate or several latitudes. Um, you can do it with tables. You can also do it uh, using an astrolabe. Mm-hmm. And um, and often, well, according to what the actor would require, uh, his expectation, but also uh, it's a question of ease and and, uh, uh, easiness, quickness, Uh, you would do one or the other. But uh, um, I would say this is not entirely elucidated, this whole question. So in what way various approaches uh, coexist and how they correlate, whether they're whether astronomers wanted to see them as totally equivalent or whether they were aware of the differences. As I said, using an instrument would lead to results yeah. of a degree or mm-hmm. some, fra- some fractions of degrees, while using the table can give you results to the minute. Yeah. But it is interesting that when we see the image of the astrologer, so the astrologer, the astrologer slash astronomer here, we have, don't have, so the, the, the person who is versed on the science of the stars, there's always this, in one hand, you have um, an appraisal for their mathematical knowledge. So the more pointed that they are with mathematical practices, the more um, able they are in mathematics, that is equivalent, equated to uh, better calculations, better predictions, even a better practice of astrology. But at the same time, you have um, these people, when there's a representation, you always have not only the book, which is a symbol of knowledge, but it can also be a, a, a representation of the table. So the, math, the knowledge, the mathematics, and then you have the instruments always. They, they hold the, um, the asteroid. The, the asteroid, the armless sphere, you always have the instruments present. So there is a sort of, um, of equivalence here in symbol and status of the knowledge, which is the tables and the mathematics, and then the instruments that allow us practice. to do okay. the practice, perhaps. And it is interesting. And, and I think it's a very interesting question. To what extent? Is one thing dependent on the other? What is the practice? How do, do they interact? Yeah, do they really use that the astrolabe that much once you have proper tables? 
um, how does it work? And I, I think uh, I'm, I had the impression, and of course this is things to, to verify with, with studies, that um, most of the times the instruments and the tables in, in a certain extent are also an instrument uh, of sorts, um, are always used to make quick measurements, rapid calculations, in which you don't want to spend a couple of hours, perhaps, <laughs> doing the whole, the whole the math if you don't need to. So if you need something which is quick but accurate enough, you would perhaps resort to an instrument. And I'm putting this as an hypothesis. While if you want something which has to be really calculated with extremely precision, then perhaps you would sit down and spend a couple of hours doing the whole mathematics required for reaching those conclusions. Um, what's your idea? Uh, what's your perception so far? Uh, I know this is an unanswered question, but uh, what's your view on, on that? Yeah, I'm very keen always to see, um, to find some hints about this use of instruments, use of tables, um, and they're very rare, actually. Um, the, the, the passages in the sources that that tell you something about uh, about this. There's, I remember one passage in the John of Linnaeus canons on the uh, on the Alfenstein tables, and there's a, an explicit uh, uh, mention when it comes to compute the oblique ascension the moon, it's in preparation of the, uh, an eclipse computation. And uh, Linear says, you can get it from an astrolabe, or you can do it the more in a more um, elaborate way, uh, if you want, but we will use the more, the, the easier, uh, the easier way uh, with instruments. Um, so I think your assessment, uh, it's very probable that um, that one can use uh, these both methods, um, arithmetics, mm -hmm. instrumental approach, uh, to uh, to test maybe uh, the results you get, the probability of mm -hmm. testing. We shouldn't forget that computing with tables is very um, hazardous. Uh, you, there, there's so many steps you have to go through. It's very easy to to get a step wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. At some point, you you should subtract, but you add, uh, etc. And it you you, you can uh, it can lead astray. Very mm -hmm. easily. So it's actually good to have kind of like an independent uh, check of your arithmetic application yeah. by using an instrument, an equatorial instrument, for instance, uh, would help you. Um, and vice versa, the, an instrument like an equatorium uh, can also help you to understand, help you to, um, to fix in your memory what steps are needed in your computation. That is a, uh, there are quite explicit passages in this, in the Theoria Planetarum written by Campanus, 
mm-hmm. in the 13th century, where uh, Campano says, well, I will, I will explain the various movements and spheres of, what, of each planet. And I will also describe an instrument uh, that will make you uh, aware of the, the reasons why you, why you go through certain steps when you do the tables. Um, so the instrument is not always um, just there to actually obtain values, but it can have this function of, um, of justification of computational steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, they work like they complement each other yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yes, because I'm, I'm thinking uh, planetary positions, you always have to resort to tables well you can go outside and measure them but if they're not visible uh, at one point you need the tables to to know the position and uh, of course uh, having an instrument that can confirm or at least assist you with that i think uh, it's precious precious and it's useful so like you said that idea that you're using the mathematics and then you're using the instrument to confirm if you're doing the mathematics correctly and properly if you are reaching the same conclusion or something approximate, I think it's it's, it's very interesting, uh, like a verification process of the calculation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing you said it it's very also very interesting. I don't it applies to astrolabes. I don't know if it applies to army ladder spheres. It's the astrolabes were made of different materials. We had the great expensive ones in um, metal. Yes. Mm-hmm. and we had uh, some probably in wood i don't know some made of cardboard uh so they were made for different types of buyers or public or they were made by people themselves students themselves they probably mm-hmm. would do something in cardboard um what about the armillary spheres it's more difficult to 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 make them in in, in uh, any other in any other um, yeah. material except metal. So uh, would you say they were more um, expensive, they were more difficult to find than astrolabes or what would you say about this? What's your take on this? Very good question. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, I think there are quite some more astrolabes from early times than armillary spheres. Probably also as a consequence of just the fragility of something that is uh, 3D, yes. dimensional and, and uh, with sometimes braille rings. You can build an armillary sphere using wood. Uh, and it, there are armillary spheres from the 18th century uh, built in wood. Um, but uh, yeah, it's probably more of, a, of an investment. Mm-hmm. The astrolabe is more interesting because uh, you can go a little further in the computations you can do with an astrolabe than uh, with a, an armillary sphere. Um, we've said with an armillary sphere you can compute the length of the day, uh, the rising times, um, you can determine the ascendant and midheavens if you want, not the other houses with an astrolabe. You can do more. You can um, uh, 
there's of course the, it combines uh, an alidade that allows you to take the height of a star or at least of the sun taking the height of a star is is tricky it is uh, <laughs> <experienced>. <laughs> um, the stars are very small and difficult to spot through through the pinholes but but let a sun ray through uh, the alidade is is easy uh, and so you can use this and determine the local solar time uh, and you can uh, you can do all you can do with an analogous sphere but beyond that uh, tell the time and uh, divide the houses at least according uh, to some of the traditional methods yeah. Yeah. And usually called the Alcabitius. Yes, the standard method. The so-called Alcabitius. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 the, the astrolabe was easier to um, achieve to to build in different less expensive materials, and it allows more operations. That's what you're saying. It allows more. I think, yeah, there is a. It's it's very very attractive in in that sense because it goes a little beyond. Uh, the the very fundamental notions that are on the sphere. You have to know these fundamental notions before you use the uh, the astrolabe. But then, yes, you can you can go a little further because you can um, um, exactly you can you can tell the time uh, and divide the houses. Things that you you can't do with the with the sphere. Uh, and it's flat. I think what I the flatness to. of the object means. Yeah. It, don't know whether it's easier to construct because there's still a lot of uh, of arcs in one and and uh, scales to be divided. It's uh, it's tricky to produce in that sense, uh, but it's flat and it will survive better. Better, yes. But the, uh, just for people who are not familiar with these instruments, they basic, although they are so different, apparently, they basically represent the same reality. They represent this um, geocentric universe with everything uh, revolving around our point of view, our Earth. So one of them is 3D and the other one is flat, but they, they actually represent the same uh, reality. Although, as you just said, the astrolabe, um, allows more operations, more calculations. Mm -hmm. But um, now I'm thinking, is it because the astrolabe is easier to carry and everything, could the sphere be more strongly symbolic or even artistic and the astrolabe more functional, more practical? What do you think? I think both, uh, both probably, as you said at the beginning, uh, symbolically, they they are quite equivalent. In cases you carry, you carry the universe in your hands, uh, and uh, the movements of the heavens um, and their their impact on on life on Earth is somehow um, symbolized and and shown uh, by by those. Um, the the astrolabe has a has perhaps a, a longer history and more variation in them. In both, uh, one thing that I've been uh, is that uh, you know 
that there is, of course, there is a concept of what uh, an astral AV is, a, a plane sphere, a flat sphere. Uh, but when the makers made their instrument, they would often combine um, additional functions that go beyond just this, the basic minimal set of uh, ideas. So, which is very common on, on Western astrolabes is, for instance, to find a shadow square on the back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You find uh, other astrolabes with scales to convert equal to unequal hours uh, and vice versa. Also, um, by the way, an operation that is, uh, uh, that is important for uh, in astrology, because as you remember, the unequal hours are the planetary hours. Mm -hmm. uh, all the planetary movements, however, are computed in equal hours. Mm -hmm. So you would, to determine the positions of the planets and the moon and the ascendant, you would use equal hours. But then uh, you would, uh, would need to uh, go back to planetary hours if you wanted to know that, or vice versa. If you use the astrolabe to tell the time, usually you get the time in unequal hours, but then you would have to convert into equal hours uh, to compute the planetary positions for that very moment. These scales, and in some cases, uh, one instrument that is held at the Museum of Science in Oxford has been described by Seb Falk is an astrolabe with an equatorium on the backside. So you can combine things um, on, on one instrument. I think this has also been one of the, the perhaps the, the driving, driving forces. Yeah. Uh, one innovation that uh, in this context is important for us here is also to think that from the end of the 15th century or around 1500, astrolabes began to uh, include uh, the house division uh, according to Regio Montanus, the, the yeah, system. And the, these astrolabes, they include a new set of lines uh, that lines, uh, arcs of circle, that converge on the, uh, on the south point of the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Facilitating... These lines didn't exist in the earlier astrolabes. Yeah, and in facilitating uh, uh, computation that otherwise it would take some, some mathematics to do. Otherwise you would need uh, huge tables. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. No, they are yeah. remarkable instruments yeah. and the spheres also. So yes, I, I never cease to amaze myself with this <laughs> instrument. <laughs> yes, the spheres also have some evolutions and some um, some variations. And I've become recently interested in uh, one very rare development of our Milleri spheres. Some of them. Uh, are built to show the movement of the fixed stars or the precession of the equinoxes, as we would say. Mm -hmm. the here next to me doesn't show this, <clears throat> but the Alphonsan astronomers imagined that the fixed stars uh, actually had a, a, a threefold movement. 
uh, did not, it, it's not just a movement we can see at night when the heavens revolve around us once a day. So that was one movement. There was a second movement. It was a uniform movement of all the stars uh, that would slide on the ecliptic poles, would just uh, produce a shift in the ecliptic longitude of all the fixed stars. Mm -hmm. That's the one we still know. We call it precession of the equinoxes, and they called it the, the movement uh, of the eighth sphere. Then, specifically the Alphan sign tables, they included a third movement, it was so-called movement of trepidation, imagined to be a, a movement of two points near the, the equinoctial points that turn on, on two small circles around these uh, equinoctial points um, on the, uh, the sphere. Uh, around the, the equinoctial point of the zodiac. And there are about a dozen of such spheres that, that arrive from up to the 17th, early 17th century, uh, that actually are, are trying to visualize these uh, three movements. And it's interesting that this is, becomes uh, quite a challenge to even more difficult than the usual 3D model. This requires usually to, uh, to produce three armillary spheres, uh, uh, one including the other, like a, uh, uh, Russian puppets or... Yeah, concept. Yeah. yeah, they are, they are amazing. Yeah. Well, somehow, um, I don't want to keep uh, forever. You forever, and it's long. And thank you very much for showing us uh, the, Arl uh, the armillary. It's always fabulous to see these instruments, uh, even a reproduction. But that one is very good. quite a good instrument, and it has all the moving parts. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm I'm always there and ready to to show you um, any computation you you want to see. We can schedule another podcast yeah. for the specifics because this was like uh, an introduction to, yeah. the, to the instruments. Yeah. Then we, we can go to, to the practical application. Yeah, that would be very, very interesting yeah. to, to, yes. to demonstrate some of the practical applications of this, these instruments. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll be very happy to talk to you again soon. And uh, we'll, we'll, keep, yes, we'll keep in touch. Yes, My pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much.